0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number forty-one of the MMA podcast that brings you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Chemakar Sandu. How are things going, buddy?
1: I'm very well, sorry. I just got back from a lovely five days in Stockholm, Sweden, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, shortly. Uh, it was beautiful there, sunny, and um, you know, it was it's just nice to be there when it's not kind of cold and snowy and winter and arctic and there's only three or four hours daylight um so yeah it was a good experience i'm I'm back back in the Ldn. got back yesterday on bank holiday monday pretty shattered still to be fair um i've grown a beard which is the longest it's ever been um so i need to get to my barbers pretty snappy and get him to trim and sort it out my wife isn't happy with the length of this beard um but apparently people that have been checking out some of the video content in uh on oh, no, a Junkie I seem to actually like the length of a beard so I'm dealing with that at the moment that's the you know when you don't have hair on your head Simon that's the kind of uh, the, your second level down is, uh, <laughs> is, is facial hair so
0: yeah I mean the problem I have is like if I grew a beard and at the moment I'm just rocking a lazy person's sort of two day stubble right now it's a bit more salt than pepper in this salt and pepper beard right now <laughs> I'm an old man Sandy what can I say you know it's, it's not a good look I'll wait until it goes full Santa Claus before I start before I start growing it properly. But um, enough beard talk. We had uh, you were in Stockholm uh, for uh, for UFC Fight Night. I was on a bit of a busman's holiday this weekend. Um, wasn't able to get out to Stockholm for the event, which was a bit of a bummer. But you know these things happen. Uh, so I had a three day a three day drinking session disguised as watching professional wrestling. It was great. Um, went to uh, Progress Wrestlings. Super strong style 16, which, uh, was, was one hell of a, one hell of a night. I tell you, you go to watch a football match and you hope that your team plays well. You go to a fight night and you hope that the big names deliver. You go watch a progress wrestling event. You've got no worries at all. You know, it's always going to deliver the goods and boy, did they deliver three days straight. Um, they delivered this fantastic tournament. Great fun. Uh, former UFC star, Matt Riddle, uh, was a, a prominent a prominent competitor in the uh, in the tournament. It was great stuff. If any of you are out there are professional wrestling fans uh, and are hardcore enough to subscribe to Progress Wrestling's on demand service, then uh, make sure you check it out because it was the most insane wrestling event I've ever been to. It was it was bonkers. Um, as a result, Sandy, this is going to be a bit of a different show because normally we pick the pick the bones out of uh you know the most recent ufc the most the uh, the most recent ufc show i'm sitting here talking to you my hands are in the air i've barely been home i've barely been home uh today would have been a great day for me to just sit back and catch up on everything it's half term my daughter is on half term Uh, my wife's about to give birth so it's it's a case of Get out and, and have a day out with uh, with Alicia before hell breaks loose. So I've only just got back from Chessington. so I still haven't had the chance to sit down and fully watch UFC Fight Night 109 Gustafsson versus Teixeira, which is where you come in, my good friend. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to hold my hand and walk me through these results because uh, on paper at least, and also from some of the social media highlights clips. You were treated to a pretty spectacular night over there at the Globe Arena. 12, nearly 13,000 people there uh, in the Globe Arena. Nearly $2 million gate almost. Uh, Alexander Gustafsson doing the business in the main event. Vulcan Ozdemir uh, really turning up what was a shock uh, to beat Misha Serkinov. Peter Sabota, uh, big friend of uh, us European media guys. We do like Peter Sabota's backstory. Um, he did well with some great results on that card. Let's talk about the main event first, because obviously that, mm. that's the one that had all the fans buying the tickets. Um, and when they moved the event from Denmark, which was the original plan, it was going to be uh, Copenhagen, I believe. And they moved it over to, to Stockholm. They needed Gustafsson on this card and he hadn't fought for a while. We didn't know what he was going to look like, uh, whether it'd be a bit rusty coming in. You had Glover to We weren't sure. There's big question marks over Glover and Gus going into this. How would Gustafsson look like um, after such a long layoff? And Glover Teixeira, really looking to prove a point. He got badly knocked out by Anthony Rumble Johnson. He uh, outpointed Jared uh, Kanonier, um, or Canonier rather, um, without really looking like he was going to stop him. And then we had this five-round barn burn and it ended up with that spectacular finish. I mean, what was the reaction like over in Stockholm?
1: Well, I mean, if you want to work. Your way up to fight night in the main event. It was an interesting week because coming in, and this is my fifth time to Stockholm, and it was a kind of fifth time for quite quite a few of us on the, on the Junkie team. And in, in previous trips, we've seen Gustafsson splattered all across their, their main, you know, big newspapers. We've seen him have interviews in prime time news slots, and uh, and billboards of him and, and what have you. Didn't see any of that coming in. Then there was the whole thing of, well, okay, this is also during um, a major European holiday weekend where most European countries were off Thursday and Friday. Of course, here in the UK, we had bank holiday Monday. And it was a Sunday show to boot. Plus, it was summertime, right? And for anyone that hasn't been to Sweden or Stockholm in particular, you know, for the majority of the year, you're looking at about eight or nine months of, of winter. You've got this cold. It's. Um, it's, it's snowing and it's just miserable. It's dark, you know. You've got like maybe four hours of daylight per day or something like that. Summertime, it's the opposite. You've got about 20 hours of daylight per day and about four hours of, of, of nighttime, which is interesting. But it was gorgeous weather. And so it kind of led all of us to believe, well, you know, are people really interested? Are, are Swedes really interested in spending seven or eight, nine hours cooped up inside an arena uh, when they're really just can't wait for someone to come in be, and into play so they can actually be outside and enjoy things so you know overall the event it, it wasn't a completely sold out arena but it did some decent numbers um close to a sellout and which obviously shows you that the MMA market is still strong especially when you've got Gustafsson who's there who's a the golden goose for that particular market and uh yeah, you know, fight. It was an interesting fight week. Obviously, you know, not the sexiest names on the card. A few interesting stories that came out with regards to some fighters that we were able to get access to the day before. But of course, like you said, Simon, it's all about the main event. And um, you know, considering that he just recently became a father, um, he hasn't fought in a while, and uh, you know, his previous performance because Blackovic was a little so-so. This was a big one. I actually really thought that had he lost, um, it, it may have you know dampened um the UFC's potential return to Stockholm and Sweden in the future because they, they need you know Gustafsson. but they need Gustafsson firing on all cylinders and they need Gustafsson who's you know once again reestablished as a major star and a and a real threat in the top of that light heavyweight division. And that's exactly what they got. His performance in Glover was one hundred percent the best of his career without a shadow of a doubt. His finishing combination of three straight uppercuts in the right hook is something that I've watched about 10 times already on social media. it's just beautiful and um, you know Glover Teixeira is, is, a, is a legitimate can, you know challenger in that top four or five uh, two or five uh, weight class and um, you know it was all one-way kind of traffic I mean Gustafsson from the get-go was really dominating the entire fight heading into that fifth round I had him up uh, 40 36 I gave him a 10 nine for each of the first four rounds um, and now what this does Simon, Now that he's got that emphatic win, followed by a proposal to his girlfriend, which I'm sure would have helped get even more headlines in the mainstream uh, media in Sweden. You know, He's now a father. Um, He is now a a fiancé waiting to get married at some stage of this year, I, I would imagine. So he's about to become a husband. He's now got a couple of wins on the trot and the best performance of his career. He has put himself right back in to title contention. And, and, and as difficult as it, as it is for me to say, being a Brit, would love to see Jimmy Manuel get the shot. Whilst Jimmy Manuel has got a legitimate case to get the next title shot, so does Alexander Gustafsson now. And they were both kind of being coy throughout the week. And Gustafsson was in his post-fight comments where they're both of them aren't really jockeying for position right now. They're trying to remain respectful. And they're kind of essentially saying it's up to the UFC who gets the next shot. And I have to say, with the way WME IMG has been making some, you know, decisions with regards to um, title fights and matchmaking, what have you, if John Jones beats Daniel Cormier, I would find it really hard to believe they wouldn't go to that John Jones Gustafson rematch because that would be a blockbuster fight, head on a pay per view, and do very very well, given they've got the history of that first match. Um, I love Jimmy. You know, he, he, his interview last week with me was great. It's the best interview I had with him um, in, you know, in ages, I reckon, maybe ever. He's really opening up now with regards to media duties and ha- and some of the things that he comes across uh, that he kind of says in his interviews. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, there's already talk of perhaps, you know, Volkan Ozdemir and Jimmy Manua. Um, you know, Volkan had a massive, massive, huge victory in that co event, knocking out Misha Serkinov in the first round and I suppose legitimize themselves as a top five light heavyweight. Um, I know Jimmy Manua, looking at his, you know social media feed today, has said he started camp. Now, whether that's camp to be a backup for UFC 214 fight week or whether he's going to accept the fight, you know, there's talks of a shogun. I think that's the one to make if you're going to do it at 214. Uh, so it's a winnable fight for, for Jimmy. Keeps him busy against a legend and a former light heavyweight champion, which would help further his case. But um, bringing it back to Gustafsson and that main event win it's, it's massive, and it kind of—it's uh, great to see again covering the European scene. We want European contenders and hopefully European champions because it, it just helps us get more opportunities covering the sport over here. But um, yeah, it was a fantastic line of fights. But if we're going to just try and keep it condensed to that to that main event, it was it was a home run for the Swede Simon.
0: Yeah, and what you said about Gustafsson getting the shot if John Jones wins, I think. You've got two ready-made fights there, irrespective of how that championship fight goes. I think the next fight you do, or the next two fights you do after the title fight, unless you do a rematch of Jones Cormier and go for the hat trick, which is entirely, entirely possible, um, especially if DC wins. Um, if Jones wins, it kind of squashes it. But the next sort of the logical next step is to do Manawa versus DC because there is heat there there's been a little bit of uh, groundwork already done on that but thanks to both guys you know dc went straight after Manor after he beat anthony rumble johnson so there is already a little pathway to making that match whether it's a title fight or a non-title fight that fight's bookable and jones versus uh, Gustafson books itself because probably the best world title fight ever held in the ufc it's got to be up there if it's if it's not the top, it's in the top two, I would imagine. So um, for me, they're the two fights you book next anyway. So I think you're right. Jimmy will probably get um, Shogun Hua fitness permitting at UFC 204 just as an insurance policy for uh, Dana White. He said that's what he wants to do. So that makes total sense. I think I think book, book that fight. Uh, see how all of that plays out. Assuming Jimmy gets the win that we would expect him to get against Shogun, uh, then what you can do, you book Jimmy against DC, you book Jones versus Gustafsson. Wherever the belt happens to be is, is wherever it is. But book those two fights um, and, and go from there. I think that makes the most sense. Um, you mentioned very uh, very briefly there, sort of leading in, um, Vulcan Ozdemir in the co-main event. Now, very few people fancied him to win this. Um, he was 13 and one going into uh, Saturday night against Misha Serkinov. Uh, and Misha Serkinov was going into that 13 and two. Um, so numbers wise, very similar records. The difference was visibility. We'd seen just one fight in the UFC from Volkan Ozdemir. Uh, that was a, a pretty impressive uh, performance against Ovins St. Pru. Split decision win. Um, Ovince is a tough guy to look good against. Um, and he looked alright against him. And he beat him by split decision. I thought it was a sound a sound performance. And, a, and a, a correct decision on the night. I thought he deserved to win it. But I don't think many people would have expected him to spark out Misha Serkanov inside 30 seconds like he did. Um, and it was a weird one. It was it sort of almost caught him in the ear didn't it it was it was one of those where he just caught him in just the right spot to completely disrupt the guy's equilibrium and 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 that was it done it was it was very bizarre but it just goes to show you with these small four ounce gloves on and these big guys i mean you know they're weighing at 205 but they're probably nearer 220 225 on fight night some of them if they hit you and they hit you in the right spot it doesn't matter how big you are you're going down. And Misha Surkinov, uh, we, I think we first saw him, Sandu, in, um, I think it might have been Hamburg, Germany. I think he did a, He was one of the guest fighters over there. And he did the Q&A with Josh Barnett. And I remember we were sat sort of halfway up the stands in the media seats. And we were looking at the pair of them. And you couldn't, you know, if you were a complete layman and you walked in, you wouldn't know which one was the heavyweight and which one was the light heavyweight. You know, um, Serkinov looked every bit as big as Josh Barnett. Big dude gets knocked out in 30 seconds he's just negotiated himself a new contract i think he's been considered as like the, one of the up and coming contenders apple car upset everything all over the place what on earth what on earth went on there and what was the what was the immediate reaction presumably you were back uh, were you backstage on saturday night sandu
1: it was interesting so it, the ufc always uh, provides different types of credentials i feel yeah uh, european shows um sometimes i'm backstage permanently sometimes i'll get um a ticket so i could kind of roam back and forth from uh, the arena and backstage fortunately it was a latter on this occasion so i got my backstage credential for fight night so i was in the media room for the majority of the night but i had the the the, the flexibility and the freedom uh to to run down um and kind of be cage side uh for as many of the fights as i wanted to and um you know fortunately i was there for the main and co-main event and yeah you're right i mean leading up to the fight itself having the opportunity to interview both guys i mean not to take anything away from volkan who's a pretty big dude but misha serkinov is a unit he is a serious unit like thick neck wide wide frame um pretty much all muscle and um and everyone really favored him to win this fight i certainly did And, um, you know, it's it's kind of weird, like you said, Simon. Volkan's only fought once, you know, a a decent performance against OSP. uh, But I kind of really thought that this was going to be Misha's fight to lose. And, my God, I did not see that right hook coming and landing flush just above Misha's ear, knocking him out within 30 seconds of the first round. Unbelievable. And, you know, Volkan did all the right things. He gets an early knockout win. He cements himself as a top five light heavyweight. And then he goes ahead and says Jimmy Manu was next on his hit list. I mean, that's how you do it. That's how you set yourself up for the next fight. He's now a legitimate contender in that top five, um, you know, of that the top five of the like, heavyweight division. And I think for him, I think one more high-profile victory and he could, could claim to get, you know, get a title shot. So I think for him, he's now going to probably angle for that Jimmy Manuel fight. Will he get it? I'm not too sure. I still think that the Shogun Hua fight is the one for Jimmy to take. Um, but whatever happens... He's going to be angling for at least one more fight by the by the end of the year uh, and then pushing on to try and get a title fight next year. So all things considered, a really good night for the Swiss. Again, it's another European, uh, but he is training out of California, I believe. And um, the gym that he's training out of doesn't come to mind right away, but I know it's, it's, it's one of the gyms in California. But um, someone uh, that everyone should pay attention to, keep an eye on, because I think um, the best has yet to come out of this dude. He is a serious, serious fighter.
0: Yeah, the Swiss Superman of the UFC, uh, yeah, Vulcan, yeah. Vulcan Osmond. I think he he was part of the Black Zillions. I don't know where he still is because uh, no. obviously there's been a lot of upheaval down there in Coconut Creek, and, and peop, some some of the guys have been working with like Henry Hooft and some of them have sort of been splitting their camps among among different aspects down there. So um, last I knew, he was with the Black Zillions, but I don't know. I don't know what his situation is right now. I think he's a guy who. They more people need to know his story now. You know, he's got that, that sort of holy crap big win that has made people sort of open their eyes and go, This guy might be a contender. Now we need to learn a bit more about him, I think. Um, and uh, hopefully he'll get another prominent spot, maybe even on another European card. Um, you know, they're looking to build that Rotterdam card at the moment. Um, uh, wouldn't be a terrible suggestion to sort of get him back in action on European soil the UFC have liked to do that in the past build prospects on the European scene and then when they're ready to really go for it at the ult- at sort of the uh the really elite level stick them over in uh, in the states on a big Las Vegas or New York card or whatever um obviously with 205 not being as deep uh, he's come in very very um well he's had two fights now and he's beaten two two top top guys i mean you know, OSP went a distance with John Jones with a broken arm. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, Misha Serkanoff looked like the coming man until, uh, Osdermis sent him to the mat. So, really impressive stuff from him. Uh, one of the performances that not many people saw coming. I know you did a podcast with, um, with our good buddies from, from Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, fr- with, uh, Sebastian Vendel Martinez. And, uh, during that, you were talking about some of the fights and, looking at who obviously this, this was one where everybody was pretty sure that Serkinov was the, the sort of the sensible pick. But then you also then referenced the betting odds. And it was like, yeah. oh, hang on a minute. Ozdom is a decent price here. And the, the price was big, was, was, uh, artificially high for, you know, for a guy of his level. Uh, and, uh, you, you did it for that fight. And, uh, Seb sort of said, he's he sort of half jokingly said it, but I think he was also sort of suggesting it was worth a go. Do a little win double, Volkan Ozdemir, Amari Akhmedov. Um, Amari Akmedov, very, very, very tough. Doesn't get beat easily. And he went in there with a red hot prospect to everybody, including all of us um, over here. We were all very high on this guy. Um, Learned a lot more about him in fight week. He did a great interview with him. a nice sit down with him from my junkie. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, 7-0, 7 7 wins. Longest fight was at 126, I think, in the first round. Average fight time, 56 seconds. Uh, Former uh, Judo uh, World Championship competitor. I mean, he's got some legit skills. And he looked like he might be someone people could start getting really excited about. He went in there with a really tough season, grizzled veteran in Amari Akmedov. And lost by split. I haven't seen the fight. Was that a deserved decision for Akmedov? Looking at the scorecards, two judges gave it 30-27 um, for him. Uh, and the other judge gave it 29-28 to Al-Hassan. So uh, I don't know whether you had the chance to actually watch that fight all the way through or whether you were sort of still mid-scrum backstage. But um, how did that one pan out? Uh,
1: well, I did watch the fight. And it was definitely in Akmedov's favour. Um, I did not agree with the judge that scored it uh, 29-28 for Al Hassan. What I will say in Al Hassan's favor is he threw everything but the kitchen sink at Akhmadov's, at Akhmadov's chin because that's what he's kind of known for in his MMA career is punching power and he's a headhunter. And I don't know how Amari was able to take him and keep standing and you know let off some offense and take him down to the ground and you know grind out a decision here, but he did it. Um, it's one of those weird fights where, if it was to see a fourth, fifth round, I'd highly be in al Hassan's favor because he the, the 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 punching power just was unrelenting from him. And and I think this is a good, I suppose, learning curve uh, for him. And I think it'll it'll you know it'll make him a better fighter uh, long term. It's interesting because you know it's something that I wanted to raise later on in the show, which I'll quickly kind of reference now. But this weekend at UFC 212. There's a fighter um, by the name of Paolo Borachinia who it, has nine wins. He, he's he's had nine fights, nine wins, all by first round finish. So very similar to Al Hassan, and um, you know, and he's got a tough test uh, in front of him when he faces Aluale Bamboze. But you know, all
0: his all, all his wins are pretty much first round knockouts as well. Yeah, exactly. Judges um, can have a night um, off for that one. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah.
1: Fun. But, uh, but coming back to Al-Hassan, I think he came across a really tough, veteran, uh, you know, rugged Russian grappler, tough dude. Uh, we all thought this would be his toughest test to date, which it was. Uh, and he didn't have enough at this stage of his career to get it done. But he is someone I should, uh, you, know, you know, ask everyone to keep an eye on because he's got a lot of talent. Um, he's, a, he's a physical specimen of, of, of a fighter and an athlete. And he's got a fantastic story. Um, Highly recommend going back to MMA Junkie and checking it out. Um, But yeah, it was a really entertaining fight, uh, and kudos
0: to Atmedov getting the job done on on the night. Yeah, wanted to mention that fight just as it followed on nicely with the uh, the sort of the betting angle with Ozdemir and Atmedov. Between those two fights was Peter Sabota versus Ben Saunders. I had this fight picked as a bit of a sleeper for fight of the night, Um, and I know a lot of people were 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 on Ben Saunders for this. Sabota looked like a man possessed last time I saw him against uh, Nicholas Dalby. And uh, he did the business again. He did the business again. He, he seems to be... I mean, both these guys have sort of rediscovered sort of, uh, bit of a bit of a career renaissance, if you like. You know, I'd sort of refer to them in the week as renaissance men of the UFC. Both of them have been in the UFC, started to fade, left the UFC and have revitalized and now come back. And uh, we're in good form leading into this one, and it was Sabata that got the job done. Uh, second round TKO via a knee. Um, the man from, or the man representing Jamaica, uh, getting getting the job done, Sandu.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. Another great story, and Peter Sabata. He's been around for a, for quite some time, and and at one stage I thought he was just going to run through. You know, a, a couple of fights on his contract, maybe have a you know a win-loss win-loss record, and kind of be the you know the face for them or help them promote the sport and their events in in Germany, um, and then kind of see himself out the door. Uh, but he is looking at his absolute best, and he's determined to push on at this stage of his career. Um, you know, he's you know calling out the likes of Damian Meyer or Gunnar Nelson to test his grappling skills with, which is phenomenal for him to even you know put that out there like that. He's got a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And we thought that this fight might at some point go to the ground and, you know, Killer B, Ben Saunders, ain't no slouch on the ground either. But, you know, it was fantastic to see some really aggressive boxing and striking um, from Peter Sabah, which eventually got the job done. Uh, Per Halsstrom, or MMA Junkie Per on Twitter, as he's better known, has gotten a a fantastic shot of Peter Sabar landing, uh, I think it's a left hook, which eventually broke, his hand, and all you see is like blood dripping down uh, from Ben Saunders' mouth. It's an it's an epic shot, really graphic, uh, so hard and so graphic that today on social media, on Instagram, Peter Sabata actually uh, put a post out saying that uh, you know the left hand that was broken uh, early in that fight will now actually require surgery where they have to take bone spurs from from his hip um, and then kind of fuse that. With some, you know, some of the, some of the the areas of his hand, um, that's that's broken, which is doesn't sound for fun at all, and it's unfortunate because it looks like he'll be out for quite some time. He said that, you know, with, you know, in God's grace, hopefully he'll be able to make a comeback for the Gdansk card in Poland. Uh, obviously, he's born in Poland. Uh, that was, that's that's going to mean a hell of a lot for him. And um, yeah, look, another great story uh, in Peter. You, you referenced it earlier on, you know, with regards to why he represents Jamaica. And, um, you know, a really good win, a, a solid win, a finish. And um, he's paid
0: the price with that broken left hand, but hopefully he'll be back for that Poland card later this year. Yeah, he's first in, in the UFC, had three fights in the UFC, lost all three by decision and, and was then cut by the UFC. Uh, he had seven, six, well, one, two, three, four, five, six fights away from the UFC over the space of about three years. And since he's rejoined the UFC, he joined back in May 2014. He's gone four on one, uh with, uh, with two going to decision, uh, and most recent one by knockout. And he also picked up a submission win against Steve Kennedy in Krakow, uh, two years ago. So he's come back in superb form. His only loss was to Kyle Noak. I think that might have been Noak's retirement fight or his uh, penultimate fight over there at 193. Um, but he's come back and he's looked good. And yeah that that operation doesn't sound very nice. I think I know of motorcycle races who've had a similar a similar thing. It, I I think one of the reasons why they do it is like the bone in the hip is just so thick, like the density of it is so strong so the amount of weight that goes through your hip. I think when you've got sort of brittle bones in your hand, I think they use it just to just to stiffen stiffen things up a bit. So um I know it's been done before. They've done it with the uh, like MotoGP races and things like this. Uh not a nice thing, but with the hand, provided you fi- you 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 know you rehab it well, it can heal reasonably quickly. So uh fingers crossed, uh everything goes well with the operation, and we get to see uh Peter Sabota and we get to hear him walking out to Bad Boys by Inner Circle in uh, in Gdansk later this year. Uh where are we? Nordin Taleb beat Oliver Enkamp by decision. The other fight I wanted to talk to you about was the one that opened the main card, Sandu. It was one that a lot of people uh, we're excited about and, and rightly so. Jack Hermanson, former Cage Warriors middleweight champion, uh, one of the most unassuming-looking guys. I mean, if you if you saw him walking down the street, he's a big, tall guy. Doesn't look like a professional fighter, though. He just looks like kind of a kindly, nice, tall gentleman. Then you look at Alex Nicholson. He looks like a psycho. He looks like he looks like he should be a professional fighter, and obviously he is one. And, uh, again, you interviewed, I think you interviewed both guys in fight week and Hermanson yeah. was as chilled and as relaxed and, you know, as if like, he barely had a care in the world. And then you got Nicholson who, uh, he's got a baby coming. And, uh, despite the fact he's got this upcoming euphoria of having a, having a child, he's, he was taking it all incredibly seriously and very, very, the word you used in fight week was intense. And that, that was, you know, that was it to a T. Sometimes you can be too tense, though. And uh, but I think I think the thing that really won this—I mean, I think there's a skills gap between Hermanson and Nicholson. Nicholson's a big, strong, tough guy. Hermanson has got legit MMA skills that I think, or I thought, leading in would, would would eventually get him through the fight. Didn't think it'd be a first round finish, though. Really didn't think it'd be a first round finish. So that's a super impressive win for Jack Hermanson, Sandu.
1: Yeah, it is funny that with your take because between me and John and the rest of us, we had the opposite take. We actually thought that Alex Nicholson was coming in, like I said, really, really intense, and we just looked at him as the true kind of quote unquote fighter. Whereas we viewed Hermanson as kind of a, a really technical and very, very you know, well-gifted athlete, and we just thought that that, that the fighter in Alex Nicholson would be able to kind of grow out, um, you know, a decision or a finish here and just you know, really bring the fight to Hermanson then it ended up being the total opposite, and it's funny because, you know, on the, on during the weigh-ins, Alex Nicholson gave everybody the most cringeworthy uh, of all moments when he literally um, faced off uh, with Hermanson and screamed, "I am Sparta," and, and it was just just like just out of the movie 300, and it was just like, yeah, slow clap, slow clap, <laughs> with a bar with some hay just rolling by. And it, it was really, really cringeworthy. And it did, did the round of social media. And, um, you know, but it just showed how intense he was about this fight. And uh, Hermanson just smiled at him at the face-off, at the weigh-ins. And, uh, you know, made it look easy, to be honest with you. Like you said, only took two minutes of the first round to get the job done. Uh, Nicholson complained to the referee about the stoppage. But there was, you know, no doubt that Hermansen, um, you know, won, uh, won fair and square. And it was the right call by the referee to, to stop the fight when he did. And uh, Hermanson gave a pretty cool quote. And to be honest with you, he was one of of only a few that gave some really juicy quotes. I mean, to be fair, you know, while we were backstage, everyone, pretty much everyone on that prelim card, you know, when they were asked about who they'd like to fight next, it was a cliched answer. Anybody that the UFC wants to give. And in in, in our heads, we're just kind of thinking to ourselves, dudes, you know, give us a name. Give us something to push out there on your behalf. Something that will cause headlines something that will get people interested about your next fight. And, um, you know, hopefully that thing, you know, starts to cement itself into some fighters' you know psyches as they're kind of really entering fight week about what they want to do with their future. Because unless you tell us, there's nothing to put out there, you know, apart from just reflecting on your fight. So Hermanson gave a nice quote, though. He said that when Alexander Gustafsson calls it a day, He wants to be the new face of Swedish MMA. He wants that main event slot. And I dig that. I like that. Because he knows that Gustav is the Golden Goose right now. Um, But obviously, he hasn't really fought that often. Hasn't fought that often to the point that he's still only getting $10,000 from a Reebok sponsorship deal. So he's pretty much in the lower tier of uh, that Reebok pay scale. But I like the attitude. And like you said, he's a fun dude to kind of hang around and be around. He's a very kind of, you
0: know, you know easy come, easy go type of dude outside of the cage, but he's all business inside the cage. Absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping that I might get to see him this week. Um, he quite often comes and pays the Cage Warriors guys a visit when they have a show. Um, and uh, they've got one in London this week. So um, fingers crossed um, he might pay, pay us a visit in London. If he does, I'll try and grab a word with him. Um, but yeah, he's, he's someone who, he looked really good in his Cage Warriors days. He had a great fight with Scott Ascom, um when he joined the UFC, and uh, he's now picked up a, a big first round finish. So keep putting him on the European cards, keep building him up, and we'll see where we can go with uh, Jack the Joker. Now looking at the prelims, we had a we had a trio of uh, of, of decision wins: Pedro Munoz beating Damian Stasiak, Trevor Smith beating Chris Camozzi. Uh, that's a big win for Trevor Smith, that, and uh, Joachim Silva beating Reza Madadi. Now. You talked Alex Nicholson was disputing the stoppage against Jack Amanson. One fight where I think anyone was going to dispute the stoppage was uh, Bojan Velichkovich against Niko Masoki. You see fights where sometimes people get caught with a punch and the old legs start to do a bit of a dance. Niko Masoki was river dancing all the way across the cage. And uh, it was actually quite disturbing to watch, actually, because the fight, I mean, at that point, I think I'd have stopped it then. Because he was so he was so clearly knocked out on his feet that you know there was almost no point carrying on. But Filitskovitch did the professional thing, finished him, and uh, picked up a, a very very nice knockout in the third round as well, quite late on. So you know that was a well contested fight back and forth. Masoki is a is a pretty solid technical competitor. You know he's always pretty uh, pretty compact in his striking, moves well, pretty well rounded. Um, got. Finishing the third round, is that the biggest knockout of the night was that the best finish of the night, or or do you think Gustafsson pips that?
1: I still I still think Gustafsson pips that only because of the three consecutive uppercuts before he lands that right hook. That combination was beautiful. But what I will say about Veliktovich is he was losing that fight for me. Um, I thought Nika Masoki the first two rounds did enough to do the ten nine respectively in both of those rounds, and Boyan did need a, a finish in my opinion, and he got it. And, and like you said, Nika Masoki, yeah. Uh, he was doing the Crip Walk, Simon. He was doing the chicken dance. And, uh, you know, Veliktovich, you know, got it done. And it's interesting, again, just being backstage, talking to some of the Serbian media. They appreciated the fact that MMA Junkie um, had interviewed Bojan because for, for them, that video and that that article did so much to boost his profile um, in his home native country, although he's now based out of the Elevate Fight Team in Colorado. So he's, he's got a nice little thick, you know, American slash, you know, European twang accent at the moment. Um, And it was just interesting because I was speaking to John about this and, you know, you know, being able to cover events with MMA Junkie, uh, like we've both done now uh, recently, you get that opportunity to interview a select number of the fighters that perhaps either aren't available on the official media day, or maybe some of them are, but you get that opportunity a day before the official media day. And it just means that you get that sit down one-on-one, five or 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, and you're able to really get to know some of these fighters' backgrounds and stories just that little bit better. And what it means is you're able to kind of translate that into stories and articles and provide opinions and bits and pieces in a show like the Brit Pack. And we're talking about these guys. And, you know, Bojan kind of really, you know, campaigned to fight a European card. He actually went by press row in his last fight and asked John, I want to find a European card. Can you help me out here? And John Bates said, well, OK, just say that into this uh, smartphone and I'll put it out. You put it out. And he got it on a Stockholm card, and he loves it. He actually told us that he loves going into enemy territory, and um, you know, you know, silence the crowd, and he'd love to do it more in the future. So um, yeah, another great knockout—not the knockout of the night, in my opinion—but um, it got a performance tonight bonus uh, from the UFC. So uh, Bo Young was fifty thousand dollars richer based on that performance, and a heartbreak for 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 Sweden's
0: own Nico Misoke. Yeah, yeah, no, it's tough. You know when you. Looks like you're cruising to a decision victory, and then you get caught like that. It's uh, just turns everything on its head very, very quickly. The fight past prelims. Darren Till, who we haven't seen in a very long time, great to see him back. Uh, had a few problems on the scale at the weigh-in. Came in six pounds over, five pounds over uh, the uh, the welter, uh, well, the allowable welterweight limit, which is obviously one seven one because it's a non-title fight. Weighed in at one seven six against Yesin Iari, who uh, we know from from last year's Hamburg show very very awkward uh tricky customer to deal with uh Darren Till got the got the clear unanimous decision win good to see him back in there uh, saw some clips uh from that fight his his footwork's great for a, a, a big guy you know he's a big 170 uh pound fighter and he's got good footwork he's got very crisp hands and uh fingers crossed he's come out of that relatively unscathed and we can get him back in there soon cuz Feels like there's a bit of a bit of lost ground to make up for Darren Till, And I think he's someone who might do a bit in that world-to-weight division. And uh, Damir Hadsevich, um knocking out Marcin Held in the first fight of the night. Seven seconds into the third round. Um, big need. Gets the job done for Damir Hadzovic. Now, that was UFC fight night Gustafsson versus Teixeira. Um, if you're grading that show, Sandu, I mean, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't, Sort of uh, a star-packed lineup, but as is often the case with some of these smaller shows, you know the proof in the pudding is in is, is in the watching. In this particular case, how would you grade this? Because you know, based on my social media timeline, watching some of this stuff, just simply people getting pretty excited by some of the stuff they were seeing. It wasn't it wasn't a dud by any means, was it? No,
1: and uh, you know I didn't see every fight. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see every fight in its entirety. I just, I just can't. In the role that I've got on fighting up, being backstage, uh, but from what I did see, and you know, being able to kind of go in and into the arena and kind of absorb some of the energy, especially during that main event, I, I suppose I'd give it a, a, a maybe a B or a B minus, something in that ballpark. Um, you know, I, and I think it was uh, all about the main event, and you certainly kind of heard the crowd really come to life as Alexander Gustafson was kind of walking out, and, and like I said, he he. Provided not only the finish in the fight, but the moment that really got everyone excited and really pumped up, not only about him and Swedish MMA, but his future in the sport. And I think it's going to re going to reposition him back into that um, slot of being a major, major superstar from our lovely little sport of MMA, specifically in Sweden. Um, I, I kind of go back to the last time that we were there for the Johnson Gustafsson fight, and like I know it's a bit of a cliched um, comment, but you know you could literally you know, the silence was deafening. Simon, so, mean, the silence was deafening. When Johnson knocked him out in front of 30,000 fans at the Teller 2 Arena, it was just, it was horrible. Like, there was people throwing their beers around and just, you know, leaving the arena in disgust uh, at, at, you know, at four or five o'clock in the morning because it was obviously, uh, you know, late in the night so that the North American viewing public could check it out in prime time. It wasn't the case this time. But uh, there was a bit of that lingering feeling like, you know, are the fans, you know, a little bit hurt emotionally and scarred by that experience of buying a UFC ticket to watch their hero Gustafsson in a main event at four in the morning only to get obliterated by Anthony Johnson. So um, I think this would have kind of helped galvanize some of that support once again and reignite that flame. Um, But yeah, I had a great time covering it. I thought overall from what I saw it was an awesome event. Had some unbelievable knockouts and finishes, and I'm sure the UFC will be back sooner rather than later.
0: Excellent, and uh, the more the more European shows they can put on, the better. But having a having a big time big time main event really does make the difference, especially when it's a national, an MMA national treasure over there in Sweden, like Alexander Gustafsson. Um, let's split these up a bit. We're going to talk about UFC 212 in a minute, but just oh. to just to keep the flow going, let's let's talk Q&A. Let's do some Q&A now. And then we'll do 2.12 to finish and lead on. And uh, while you're pulling up the list, I have, I got sent a question today. Sandy. Oh, yeah? Um, who sent me the question? Someone sent me the question. Let's have a look. I will dive onto my Twitter machine. Martin Voller on Twitter uh, has sent me a question. Um, Brit Pack question here. Like myself... You were at Super Strong Style 16 this weekend. Matt Riddle, former UFC welterweight Matt Riddle, has taken to pro wrestling like a duck to water. And boy, has he. Anyone out there wants to check him out, he's going to be in a WWE very, very soon. He's too good. Um, And he goes on to say, we've seen Lesnar, Lashley, and others transition back and forth. But which current mixed martial artist do you and Sandu think would be great professional wrestlers. So um I've got a couple in mind but uh I'll let you I'll let you go first.
1: Well there's one that jumps right off the page Simon and that's the current UFC light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier. Yep. Um uh, he has expressed his uh, you know feelings on pro wrestling very very well and consistently over the last couple of years especially he's good friends with current WWE superstar Seth Rollins. He's been to many events. Actually, I interviewed him at WrestleMania a couple of years back in Santa Clara, California. He was in town for that one because it's close to home. And um, you've seen him kind of weave uh, bits and pieces of pro wrestling into his kind of MMA career with some of his interviews and his stick, and some of his back-and-forth promos with John Jones. Um, I think he'd do great. I think he'll either as a a, a heel manager, a commentator, or even an in-ring performer but the one that I think would make
0: an easy transition to professional wrestling, it's without a doubt Daniel Cormier for me. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the one that leapt to mind. At that point, I then had to put my thinking cap on and think about it. And you think professional wrestling, you think the big guys, don't you? You think, the, you know, the big, strong guys. How about John Dodson? I think John Dodson as a, a little high-flying American answer to the luchadors. Uh, some of the stuff that he pulls in the octagon... Uh, he would be he would be very interesting inside a wrestling ring. You'd do well to find him some opposition of a similar height. But if you could, I think he'd be he'd be pretty good to watch. Um, someone else, I think Patrick Cummins has got has got a certain look about him that I think could translate quite well to professional wrestling. He's uh, he's obviously got the amateur wrestling background as well, so he's got he's got some uh, some wrestling chops that he can take into into the uh, the more artistic version of uh of the wrestling genre um he would be interesting to watch as a professional wrestler um struggling to think of too many more um i mean yeah i mean there's you know there's guys out there who they've got the ability to talk um and you know you conor mcgregor's and people like that i, I think conor mcgregor would be a better manager than he would uh, a wwe superstar you could see him as sort of a an Irish mouth of the south, Jimmy Hart sort of character. He would be, he would be fantastic. But uh, as an in-ring performer, I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, DC was my number one pick straight off the bat, and we'll chuck in uh, as a bit of a as a bit of a wild card. We'll chuck in uh, who did I say? Not not Demetrius Johnson. John Dodson. John Dodson was my other pick. So uh, so yeah, that one came through through direct message, so you wouldn't have seen that one. So uh, what else did we get via the tweets to the Brit Pack?
1: We had a couple of guys tweet us and ask us about uh, pricing for UFC Glasgow. So let me just get that right off the bat and put it out there. Now, um, you know, the UFC will do their usual pre-sale specials um, on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Uh, But general sale is on Friday um, and the tickets for UFC Glasgow are priced at £50, £75, £100 £125 pounds and £150 pounds for anyone that's interested in hitting up that card. Um, but when it comes to questions, um, what's your opinion on Cody in the Ultimate Fire? He seems to be losing his shit every week. Last week, did in front of a guy from the Nevada State Athletic Commission. I'm going to throw this to you, Simon, because I, like, I, like I confessed a while back, um, I'm not a fan of the show. I watched the very first episode and that was enough for me. I'm not paying attention. I'm not watching week by week because um, I'm just not interested. Uh, and now I'm even less interested because TJ and uh, Cody aren't going to fight at the end of the season due to uh, you know Cody's uh, uh, back injury. Uh, so I-, I know that you've been watching. What has your take been on Cody and Tuff?
0: It's weird. It's, it's... I've interviewed Cody. I've met Cody. Um, and a more polite sort of classy guy you couldn't wish to find. it. You know, we're we're in LA, we've got the media day and, you know, we've gone in and we've done the interview scrum and interviewed him. Absolutely, you know, top class in terms of the way he dealt with that. Next thing we know, we're sitting around these big tables, sort of finishing up. Cody comes, do you mind if I sit with you guys? He comes and sits next to us, puts his feet up, starts Instagramming and texting and doing all this stuff. Um, just seems an absolute class act and uh but clearly he's got this he's got this uh this sort of hair trigger in his in his in his brain that he goes from just cool calm collected to psycho killer like that you know drop of a hat and sometimes you see it in in people when they're you know when they're when they're provoked but really tj's not doing a hell of a lot of work to promote him it's it's other than grinning at him, you know, TJ hasn't done an enormous amount to really wind up, uh, at least in, 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 what I've seen of it so far. I am, I'm probably an episode behind. I'm playing catch up a little bit, but, um, yeah, it's clearly there's a, you know, there's a history there cause they were both part of team alpha male and the, the, uh, the departure of TJ Dillashaw is obviously something that's been well documented and has been a running story through this season of the ultimate fighter. And, and, uh, really some of the team alpha male guys it's like the bitterness is kind of overshadowing what they're trying to achieve in the show i think it's it's obviously editing plays a big part in this so you know it's hard to to, you know to blame the guys involved specifically but it does seem it does seem a little bit too much and uh and cody just seems to be constantly treading this tightrope from just about keeping everything together just to completely losing his shizzle and fucking going straight at him. Sorry about the F-bomb there. He just, just going completely mad and, and, and just, you know, taking taking Dillashaw down and smashing him up a bit. But yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but he's, he's clearly, he's clearly got the ass about something. Uh, and it, it obviously goes back to that situation where he was a team alpha male, but yeah, he just needs to he just needs to just take a deep breath and take a step back. I think it would do in the world of good. From a PR perspective, you know, he had everything going for him leading into this series. And some of the things that are happening, it's just sort of chipping away at some of that, which would be a shame for him.
1: Anthony Bosher tweets and then says, can we imagine a title shot for Alexander Gustafsson before John Jones? Uh, no, because John Jones is fighting Daniel Cormier and that's already kind of set up and ready for UFC 214. And to be honest with you, if he did pull out for whatever reason on short notice, I think it will be Jimmy Manuel who would get the that slot because he's already in training camp. Dana White's already gone on the record and said that Manuel is going to be a part of that card in some you know, shape or form, whether that's a, a backup fighter for that main event slot or they're actually going to get him a fight um, which I'm which I'm hoping is the case to get in the fight. Um, so yeah, no, he's not getting uh, a shot before John Jones. Uh, but like I think we discussed earlier on, um, if John Jones wins or maybe even if DC wins, to be honest with you, I think the way WME are, are doing things, you know, they may kind of give Gustafson the nudge ahead of Jimmy. Although I have to say, I actually I'm leaning more towards if DC wins, then I think you get DC Jimmy Mano because they've been going at it. On social media so it's almost and it, but it's interesting because Gustafson wants DC to win and um, he said that at the press conference which kind of makes my mind boggle a little bit because why would you want DC to win because it looks like that the Jimmy Manuel fight will probably be a little bit more you know up DC street if he wins whereas if if John Jones wins that's your big that's your big cash card that's your big money fight you know that's where you're going to get the big payday plus you know, everyone considers him the greatest of all time. So, interesting take from Gustafsson. Interesting take. Um, next question, which I'll probably throw to you first, John, uh, comes from Daryl Chumbly. It's a bit of a two-part. He had to send in two tweets given the length of the question. He says, given previous light heavyweight contenders saying they'd never fight each other, does the Manuel Gustafsson situation cause issues for the pile picture? Jones is already scheduled to fight DC, so unless Jones gets injured... Or suspended, etc., then Jones will get it first.
0: Yeah, I think whenever you have a situation where you have two top guys in a division who ostensibly don't want to fight each other for whatever reason, it causes a problem because if all if all things were possible and you know there were no uh, allegiances to one another, then the natural fight to make for UFC two one four would be Manu or Gustafson two they're the next two guys, right? You've got Jones and DC fighting for the belt, Manower and Gustafson fighting for the title shot. On paper, that is exactly what should happen. Um the the one caveat to that is the timelines. You know, whether Gustafsson can turn it around. I think he probably can and I think you, I think if he had the opportunity to fight a two one four for a title shot against someone other than Jimmy, he'd be quite happy to do it. Um, but he has just come through a five-round fight. It was the fifth round; he got the win. So he had to work his way through some, some, some sort of combat first. It wasn't like a first-round sort of quick finish. So you know you can pick up injuries and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I think it does cause. I think it does cause issues. And in a weight division where the guys at the top of the division, there's a small group of guys who are right there, and then there's a bit of a there's a bit of a gap, and we're then waiting for people to make that jump. And we thought Serkinov might be the guy. Now maybe Ozdemir might be the guy. You know, a while back people were wondering if Corey Anderson would be the guy. So that's kind of where we're at. Jimmy's made that leap now. Um, he's let, He's managed to gate crash that elite group at the top. So, and when two of the guys in that elite group won't fight each other, unless there's a belt on the line, I think they'll fight if there's a belt on the line. Um, but if there's no belt on the line... And and they don't want to fight. That immediately just fragments your whole, you know, title picture. So yeah, it's tricky. As long as you can find them both relevant fights, then you know you can work around it. Maybe maybe you, you know you do Manoa versus Shogun. If Gustafsson wants to fight on a similar timeline, you do Gustafsson versus Osdomir. I don't know. Um, it's 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 not too problematic right now, but you can imagine it might it might get so. Because ideally, that would be the fight you book. If you're doing it purely based on ability, ranking, form, where they sit in the in the context of the division, Manu or Gustafsson is the natural second fight to make.
1: And our next and final question for this week comes from Paul James. He says, who do you think Dan Hardy fights if he returns to the octagon? I'd like GSP, Part 2, or Nick Diaz, though I doubt it'll be either one of them. So I'll preface this uh, response and you know m- maybe you can go ahead and tackle this one first Simon by just saying that Dan added another little wrinkle to his return and comeback tale um at the Q&A it's always funny because he's the host of the Q&A uh and he was uh, in Stockholm which was um led by Stefan Struve and Jimmy Manuel being the um the special guest fighters that week but it was his comments that kind of caused um, the majority of the headlines to come out, out of that um and a session Um, in regards to his comeback we already know that he's got the doctor's clearance um, and that was scooped by you um, at a recent cage warrior show where you got the chance to interview him Um, and now um, he's kind of confirmed that he's well into the usada testing pool and so just so everybody knows um, if you're uh, a fighter that's retired or a newly signed fighter by the ufc or whatever the case may be you need to run through four months of uh, the usada program before you're uh, eligible to fight so he's got himself in the testing pool so he's getting randomly tested here and there um didn't get a chance to do a follow-up question because it wasn't my question it was a question by one of the fans but my next question w- would be and maybe you can ask him this weekend if you see him at cage warrior simon is um, is how many months is he, he's into it whether he's close to the four months deadline um you know, he did say that he's ready for a return. And it all and it all depends on the right opponent and the right venue. Um, you know, the one or two names that popped to mind straight away. It's not too different from what we've discussed before in previous shows, Simon. You know, I'd love to see you know a Diego Sanchez or maybe a BJ Penn if he's you know hell bent on continuing his fight career. Somebody in that ballpark, not somebody like you know, Mickey Goal or someone that's up and coming or, or a prospect, um, a fellow legend, if you will. Um, I know that you're pr- you're pretty much in the same ballpark in terms of kind of thinking when it comes to a Dan Howard Dan Hardy matchmaking scenario, right?
0: Yeah, I think Diego Sanchez is the the natural number one pick for this. I just think he ticks every box. He's a name that everybody knows. You know, he's the original Ultimate Fighter, isn't he? Um, you know, I, our, our correspondent who asked a question there said he'd love to see GSP versus Dan Hardy Part Two. I, that's not going to happen. I just, this, this is not going to happen. Um, Dan, uh, sorry, GSPE is coming back for the biggest money fights he can possibly get, and he's going to get them, and he's going to get out again. And as much as uh, as much as Dan Hardy was a was a title challenger for him back then, and would would generate a lot of interest when Dan does come back, it's not going to generate huge pay per view interest in the same way that a title fight with Michael Bisping or a title fight with Conor McGregor, which I think is his eventual end game is uh, going to be. So don't think that fight happened. He's not going to fight Nick Diaz uh, because he wants to come back at 155 as well. That's that's the other thing. He's looking to come back at 155. um, And I think Diego Sanchez, Joe Lozon, I think would be a good good other option for him. Um, You know, people who've been in and around that sport for a while, you know, they're classy operators. There'll be a lot of respect there, but it'll be two martial artists testing their skills against each other in the octagon. And that's what Dan is. He's a martial artist. So um, I hope he gets the fight. That's the first thing. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely try and collar him uh, in uh, in London this week and uh, see, you know, see if I can grab him for a quick chat, uh, have a bit of a catch-up and see what I can find out. But uh, yeah, it's nice to know. And it's almost a shame that you know, he, he does such a great job with these Q and A sessions, but he's also so beloved by the fans that there are times when it, it's not his fault. He gets more attention than the guys on the stage. You know, and, you know, you've got Stefan Struve and, and Jimmy Manoa standing there. Jimmy Manoa is on the cusp of a title shot. You've got Stefan Struve, uh, one of the best heavyweights in Europe. He's beginning to make a bit of a comeback. I don't know if they announced him as the main event for Rotterdam before that Q and A. But, but um, it's the main event for now. I'm wondering if it won't be by the time the fight comes around. If they, well, lose, if they sign Musassi, I'm wondering if they might put Musassi in there.
1: But, it was sorry. interesting. So we actually got the heads up uh, prior to the official announcement at the Q&A right. that Stefan Struve was going to be headlining. So we were actually able to get the interview regarding the main event and basically uh, embargo it. Um, gotcha. So, yeah, Struve is headlining uh, Rodan. So that's an interesting.
0: Uh, Alexander Volkov,
1: who, Volkov, yeah, yeah, Volkov,
0: who, um, who's looked pretty good. I mean, it's a, it's a great matchup insofar as a stylistic heavyweight matchup. As a heavyweight main event, I don't know how that will impact on tickets. I mean, especially when you consider the last time the UFC were in Rotterdam, you had Andrei Arlovski taking on Alistair Overeem. So you know, there's levels to to, to these heavyweight fights and. It's great to see Struve back in there on a, on a card in, in, in the Netherlands. You know, he, a great opportunity for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, be interesting to see how that card starts to fill out once they start to announce more bouts for it. But, uh, yeah, Dan Hardy, I, yeah, I agree with you. Diego Sanchez will be my first pick. If not, Joe Lozon.
1: Just a quick note on the Rotterdam situation. Got a bit of inside information here. So, pre-registration for the Rotterdam show, which which the UFC you know, does now, well, actually pretty much for every uh, event, just so that people can can be notified, you know, first and foremost when you know, tickets do go on sale, are apparently through the roof. Um, you know, the Rotterdam market, or the the Dutch market, and the Rotterdam Arena, and, you know, specifically the Ahoy Arena, um, holds about 10,000, and um, a few people on the inside seem to think it's going to sell out super, super quick, just because of the amount of registrations they've already had uh, for information on tickets, um, so again, it's one of those markets. Simon, in, in Europe, you know, we've spoken about this regarding the, um, you know, some some UK shows and look at what we've got with Glasgow. We'll see how that, you know, performs this year. There are markets where the UFC brand is so strong, where it only comes to town once a year, or maybe in some cases once every two years, where there is such a big appetite for people to just experience a UFC event that it doesn't matter really what main event you get. Now, to the hardcores, of course it matters, you know, because they want to see the best fights possible. And for us, of course it matters because we want to cover the best fights possible on our doorstep here in Europe. But when it comes to the UFC and some of these shows being on fight pass or tape delayed or not tape delayed, but in a, in a much you know, earlier time zone like the Sunday show was uh, in the States, um, we're not going to get title fights. We're not going to get premier level number one contendership fights or anything like that Um we are going to get Gunnar Nelson versus San Diego, Santiago Santiago in Glasgow. You know we're going to get Stefan Struve versus Vulcan uh, Alexander in uh, in Rotterdam. That's what we're going to get. Um, so I'm just doing the big shrug, Simon. I'm just doing the big shrug right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I know. I saw an interview on on Junkie with Joe Carr, and they're talking about they're looking to aggressively. Uh, Branch out, and it, it looks like Asia is going to be a real a real target for them. And uh, I just hope that, that they don't thin things out too much in Europe, um, because if you thin things out too much, then it's it's not gonna it's not gonna help them. I don't think. I think people people will will you know people weren't happy with the UFC London card. Um, the fights were fantastic, as it turned out, and you know, but the thing is. You do need that little, even if it's just one fight. You just need that little sprinkle of stardust at the top. Otherwise, you're looking at a fight featuring a lot of guys who you probably could have watched on the regional scene a year ago. So it's it's really important that I think that you do have the top the top it doesn't have to be a, a sort of top to bottom card stacked with barn burners that are all pay per view worthy. You know that's unrealistic. You know a good, a good poster worthy headliner. Um, one reason why I think Rotterdam is probably doing okay from a, a, a pre-sale interest point of view. I would think it's nailed on that Gokansaki Saki is going to make his UFC debut on that card. Gokansaki. Saki, uh, anyone who knows uh, combat sport will know the name. 33 years old, uh, former K one star. um, 83 career wins in his kickboxing record, uh, 59 of them by knockout. Um, a real superstar of the sport. A real superstar of the sport. If the UFC ever decided to go to Turkey, you could bet he'd be someone they'd want to use there as well. He's of he's of uh, he's of Turkish descent. He's Dutch born, but he's of Turkish descent, um, and uh, he's trained and fought the best of the trained with and fought with the best of the best when it comes to kickboxing and he did it during the real heyday of of k1 um how he gets on in mma is anybody's guess because you know we've seen we've seen many a good striker stroll into uh into mixed martial arts and get found out by a wrestler so the matchmaking will be interesting uh you stick him in there with a striker i assume he's going to fight at 205 pounds um and uh i would well yeah he'd be he'd, he'd need to be a small heavyweight or he'd be a decent size 205er. So if he can get himself to 205 uh, and fight at light heavy uh, and they can get him on that Rotterdam card, the you know the place will go nuts just for him. He's that big a star. So uh looking forward to seeing him. But uh yeah, that's that's still to come further down the line. But more pressing matters happened this weekend. Uh UFC 212 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Champion versus champion, Jose Aldo, the undisputed, uh, in quotation marks, UFC featherweight champion of the world, against the interim featherweight champion of the world, Max Bless Holloway. This, this is probably the best fight of the year so far, in my opinion. I, I we've, you know, we've had a few decent ones so far, but Aldo versus Holloway could just completely steal the show. We've got, a, we've got a, a card that is geared to the Brazilian audience, as all Brazilian cards are. Makes total sense. Um, but what we'll do, we mentioned Paolo Boracini earlier. He's taking on Oluwali Bangbozi. Do not go to the toilet during that fight. Do not make a cup of coffee during that fight. You won't be sat down for very long. But watch that fight. That'll be, that'll be carnage. That's on the main card. Eric Silva versus Yancy Medeiros is a very interesting fight at 170. That is on the main card. Headline in the prelims is Rafael Asensal versus UFC debutant Marlon Marais, former World Series of Fighting champion. That will be very interesting to watch. But this card really, Sandu, is about the three fights at the top of the card. So this works work sort of bottom to top. Vito Belfort versus Nate Marquardt. I think this is the last fight of Vito Belfort's UFC contract. I also think this will be the last fight of Vito Belfort's UFC career. I expect we'll find him in Bellator eventually fighting fellow veterans um but he's fighting a fellow veteran now in in nate the great marquardt um i guess the question here is has he got one more one more big performance in him uh on home soil in rio de janeiro what do you reckon
1: against the chinny nate marquardt i think he has um you know vitor tends to perform pretty well uh in his backyard and on home soil so to speak I think there won't be any lack of motivation bowing out um, on his UFC career with the final fight on his current UFC contract. Um, so he'll be well motivated there. And, um, you know, I think what we'll, what we'll end up seeing is a, is a ferocious bell for getting right into it from the opening bell and uh, and finish Marquardt within the first couple of minutes. Now, it's not to say that Marquardt doesn't have punching power of his own. He does, absolutely. But, I mean, the dude just cannot get a win streak put together to save his life over the last couple of years. You know, I mean, I'm going back to January of 2013, and he's got three losses in a row, then a win, then two losses in a row, then a win, a loss, a win, a loss most recently to Sam Alvey in January of this year. So, you know, I can see a Vitor Belfort knockout win Bowing out the UFC and then the UFC also cutting Nate Marquardt for losing for losing you know two two fights in a row a nice way to get two fights off your off your books when you're trying to trim the UFC roster as it is so to speak. Um, Vitor Belfort is looking for a Legends division. There's only one place uh, in the world where you, you've got a nice healthy roster of legends um, so to speak for you to fight where there is no also Usada testing involved whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a perfect fit for Bellator, especially when Scott Koch has told us on his recent trips to Europe um, that Brazil is a massive target for them uh, to push in the next 12 months. Um, they're going to bring an event to Brazil and to have Vitor Belfort on the books as someone you can promote in a, in a, main, a co-main event would do absolute wonders. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully it's an early one um, and we'll see what Vitor can do. Uh, in his swan song for the UFC,
0: yeah, and you can bet it'll be attracting a bit of interest from Japan as well. Rising might be, uh, yeah, might be up for uh, allowing Vitor to uh, maybe shed that dad bod and uh, bulk himself up again and uh, jump in there and take on TR- T
1: R T <laughs> Vitor T R T
0: Vitor get back in there looking like a million bucks and uh, and and trashing some. Uh, some sort of second-rate Japanese kickboxers into into the ground. So, I don't know. I don't know. I certainly don't think he's going to be short of a payday uh, once his UFC run is over. And it looks like it may well be over uh, after Saturday night. Now, the co-main event is an absolute cracker of a fight. It is... I don't think it's officially been labelled as a number one contender fight, but... It's got to be up there. I know uh, Rose Namajunas is currently sort of occupying that position at the moment as, as, as the most likely next person to fight Ioanni and Jacek. Claudia Godella and Karolina Kurkiewicz have both fought Joanna, Uh both lost, but both had their successes in those in in those recent fights. They're facing off uh, in a bid to try and get themselves back into that picture uh, in the UFC's 115 pound women's strawweight division this i am so looking forward to this fight i just think that you look at the different matchups that you can make in different weight classes and this is this is a fresh matchup for us all you know we haven't fought before and they're two two fighters who are right right there you know they're almost ranked two and two a or sort of, sort of two a and two b they're that close at the top of that division Where's your money going, Sandu? This is such a good fight. This is such a good fight.
1: It's an interesting one because I kind of almost wish this was a five rounder, and if it was yeah. a five rounder, I might, I might have favored Cole Kowich here. But considering it's a three round fight, and again considering it's in Brazil, I think I'm going to favor Claudia here, um, and I think she's going to do enough over three rounds. Because um, she's really explosive. She's she, Her best work is done in the first couple of rounds. Uh, her best round against Yona Janjajic was that first round. Um, you know, I think she'll be able to do enough to get it done over three rounds um, in her backyard as well, in Rio. It's an interesting one because, like, we talk about stakes and what, what this means. I think the winner of this fight will get the next shot at at strawweight after Rosan and Eunice. I think... She's a consensus number one contender. I think she's gonna be the the girl that fights Johanna and Chick next. But I've got a feeling the winner of Claudia and Carolina, they won't be fighting Joanna and Chick. I've got a feeling Joanna, she's gonna fight Rosnami Yunus. And if all goes well and she wins that fight, she's gonna move up to flyweight when that division is kind of introduced later on this year. She's gonna become or attempt to become the two-weight champion. And then relinquish the strawweight champion, ala Conor McGregor. Now this is a lot of if buts and maybes. I mean, Joanna Jędrzejczyk could fight Rose Eunice, Rose could win, and then all of a sudden you finally got one of the biggest rematches on, on your hands, uh, with Joanna Jędrzejczyk suffering her first ever loss as a as an MMA fighter in the UFC. Um, and then of course you know she'd have to go on if she does beat Rose to go and win whoever is the you know, subsequent flyweight champion coming off the next season of The Ultimate Fire. But that's just what my gut says. Uh, so I think Rosemary Yunus, um is going to get the next shot, and then the winner of Carolina and Claudia will get the next one after after her, but they might be waiting a while, depending on how things play out. But it, it, it is a cracker of a fight. Um, this is one of those weird cards where it's not chock-a-block, you know, full of big, big blockbuster fights, just like the recent UFC 211 was, which was literally... Almost top to bottom, full of some real belters. Um, but this co-main event is one of those belters of, of, of a fight, and I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, I'm picking. Uh, I'm picking Claudia in her in her backyard on points, Simon.
0: Yeah, I think the three round the three round uh, duration is going to be a factor here. You take a look at Carolina's record; she hasn't finished anybody in uh, in three years. Um, her last six fights have all gone to the judges. Three of them went to split decision, so she's someone who, obviously very durable, but from the fights we've seen from her in the UFC, she's not the fastest starter in the world, once she hits her stride, it's almost like she goes in and she isn't fully confident, and then when she sort of gets fully confident, then we see her best work, but quite often she's looking to claw back a deficit at that point, so, and against someone like Claudia, who is a real front runner, I think she likes to assert herself very early on, and really sort of Sort of stay on top of you for the whole fight. I think over three rounds. I think I think that's exactly what will happen. I think Claudia Gadelha. I also think she's got more skills on the mat as well. And if she can get if she can get uh, Carolina on the mat, then uh, you never know. We might even we might even see a submission. Uh, Carolina has only lost one fight, but I think most of the fights that she's had have tended to be against striking first opponents in the main. Um, she does hold a win over Rose Nami of course. So if she does beat, um, if she does beat Claudia this weekend, then you've got this situation where the sort of the current number one contender is actually lost to the next contender in line. So you've got an interesting position then. Um, but yeah, I, I do totally agree with you about and Jacek's career path as well. Um, I, I tend to think that if she beats Rose Nami She's beaten every top contender in that division. So, at that point on, it's rematches, isn't it? So, um, Carolina was a rematch, I believe. I think she fought... Did she fight... Oh, well, technically not a rematch in MMA, but she had fought her in kickboxing before. So, they've fought before. Uh, she's obviously fought Claudia twice in the UFC before. Um, and obviously, after she fights Rose next, that would be a rematch if she took her on again. So... The natural thing would be to move up. The thought of Joanie and Jacek taking on uh, some of the weights moving down and you know some of the names that might be knocking around um, is mouth-watering. I think it would be fascinating to watch. I really do. Um, makes you wonder if Misha Tate fancies a comeback. Um, I'm pretty sure Misha could make 125. So you know uh i i i think i think that 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 that, that would be very interesting but but yeah and no, i i think i think this is an absolute belch of a fight i'm with you i think uh, claudio Godella will get this one done most likely on the judges scorecards now the big question in the main event is whether we're going to go to the judges scorecards jose aldo knows how to manage a fight he's been He's been in so many title fights. He can finish a fight in an instant. But as his career's gone on, he's learned, like in uh, in like football or American football, the term game management, the ability to stay in control of everything without overcommitting yourself and just making sure you get the end result that you want without exposing yourself to undue risk. And he seems, to have, he seems to have found the ability to do that over the last few years. The one notable exception was when he lost his mind and charged at Conor McGregor at UFC 194 and got sparked with one punch. That was a bit of an anomaly. I think if you, if, if you take that out of the equation, his CV is, is as good as anybody in the UFC. Um, but I've got a feeling that Max Holloway might get this done. I just do. I think, I think Jose Aldo has the slicker skills he's got the greater experience he's got the greater experience at the elite level he's taken on a who's who he's beaten frankie Edgar twice yeah i still think max holloway might be the man to beat him am i going to start raving mad or or has max got a legitimate shot here because i really think he has
1: i'm in total agreement with you simon Um, This is going to be a very evenly contested fight. We're talking about one of the greatest, if not the greatest, featherweight of all time in Jose Aldo. Uh, And a remotivated Jose Aldo coming off that Conor McGregor loss. And we saw how he performed against Frankie Edgar last summer. But then we've got a young phenom in Max Holloway who, coming off that Conor McGregor loss earlier in his career, looking back, what, three years ago now or something? He's really kind of stepped his game up. It looks better and better every time he's, he's, he's fought. His personality, the volume has turned up in the last year. I, I love what he's kind of, I love his old attitude and his persona. And he's saying all the right things. He's campaigning for fights. And he's he campaigned for the Jose Aldo fight by asking everybody, hashtag where's Jose Aldo. And, um, you know, he's got it. And, you know, credit to him. And he's, you know, he's coming into the peak of his professional career. He's 25 years old, and, um, you know, again, I think he'll go to to the judges' scorecards. We are going to be in Brazil, so I hope that the the home crowd uh, atmosphere that Jose is going to get doesn't affect them too much. But um, if everything's, you know, done right down the middle, I think over the course of 25 minutes, Max Holloway's going to have enough in the locker to get it done, but only just, because, like you said, Jose Aldo. Knows how to manage 25 minutes really, really well. He's done it time and time again. Um, but yeah, I'm just gonna kind of, just gonna give it to Max Holloway here. Although it's gonna be a very, very close fight to call. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it every common sense bone in my body says to pick Jose Aldo, yeah I'm not picking him. Um, sometimes you just look at, you know, momentum is such a big thing in this game, and and. Since since Max Holloway lost to Conor McGregor in a fight that both men fought um, and had, you know, picked up significant injuries during the fight, um, he went the decision. He went all the way to decision with Conor. Uh, Conor was injured, Max was also injured. That was his last loss. Since then, he's had ten fights. He's won all ten. Seven of those ten fights were finishes. He's picked up performance of the night bonuses. And in his most recent fight, he knocked out or TKO'd the former lightweight world champion Anthony Showtime Pettis in brilliant fashion uh, to win the interim featherweight belt. The big question mark, and I mentioned it at the start with the game management thing with uh, with Jose, and the fact he's, he's such a veteran of the five-round format. This will only be Max Holloway's second five-round fight. Um and he's not been past the end of the third round because he finished Pettis in the third so he's never been beyond that reg- sort of st- standard three round duration in any of his fights so this is going to be a real acid test for him you know this this is this is this is, this is the uh, this is the master's degree in MMA he's sitting right now he's taking on one of the greatest pound for pound fighters in the world still he's taking on one of the greatest champions the UFC has ever had uh he's doing it in that guy's backyard he's doing it for a world title in the main event of a pay-per-view um in only his second five-round fight it doesn't get any bigger than that as a test yeah i've got this feeling he's going to do it i think i think it will go to a decision um but uh yeah i think it's going to be a fantastic fight to watch fascinating to see i think he needs to start fast Um, he needs to get the first one or two rounds in the bank against Aldo, uh, and then just maintain quite often. You see Aldo, he's able to just slowly build and use his movement against Frankie Edgar. He was, he was, he was giving Edgar fits all the way through the fight. Edgar just couldn't get in someone who was so versatile in his, in his MMA game. He could, he could shoot in from anywhere. He could strike from anywhere, but yet Edgar could barely lay a glove on Aldo at times. And, um, it was, so, it was so difficult for him um, to even get close to Aldo. And Aldo's just picking him off on the way in. Holloway will be the bigger man in this fight. That's what I'm interested I think Max will be the bigger guy. So the dynamic of the fight will be different. Um, and I think he's got the gas tank to do it, but it's unproven. There's so many question marks here. And if Max gets this done, we've got another possible WME IMG star in the making kind of person. You know, we said it when Cody Garbrandt won the bantamweight belt. This is a guy that they could really work with and build. Max Holloway has got a great personality. Um, He's, uh, he's from Hawaii. He's been canvassing for that UFC Hawaii show since forever. Uh, He's a funny guy, puts himself out there well on social media. He's got a great backstory. um, And uh, now's the time for him to, to get it done, I think. This could be the crowning of a new era in the featherweight division, and I I cannot wait to see it. Even if Aldo wins, Aldo's going to have to put in one hell of a performance to beat him. So, um, When you talk about main events, this this, this is the best fight we've had in, in MMA this year, in my opinion. I think this is going to be an absolute belter.
1: Yeah, for reasons you mentioned and, and I did earlier, this is a, a such a compelling fight on so many levels. Uh, and I agree on paper, this is the best fight of the year so far and, uh, and I absolutely cannot wait for Saturday night.
0: It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And that wraps us up. We, that wraps us up. That was episode number 41 of the Brit pack. Uh, Please do get in touch with us on Twitter at the Brit pack MMA. Send us your, your questions uh, in Twitter form. If you can't get them into 140 characters, write them in notepad or notes on your iPhone, screen grab it, attaches an image and tweet it to us that way. We will we will make sure that we look at uh, all the questions, and we will do our, our best to answer as many of them as possible each week. Follow Sandu on Twitter at Sandu MMA. Follow me on Twitter at Simon Head uh, as well. You can get the show on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. We're having problems with YouTube right now. We may have to we may have to knock that on the head because we're having repeated technical issues with them at the moment. So uh stick to the audio formats if you want to make sure you get your show every week uh as i say apple podcast stitcher acast as well they're very good they've got an excellent app um, really really good app if you're into listening to podcasts there's some other great podcasts on there as well so check out acast uh if you want something a bit different to try um, and of course stitcher as well uh, go to the website thebritpackmma.com you will find varying paraphernalia back issues uh, the occasional blog on there and uh, if you want to get in touch with us as I say social media is the place to find us that was episode number 41 we will be back to talk about episode number 42 uh, next Monday or Tuesday we will look back on Cage Warriors which is happening this Friday night you can watch that live on the UFC Fight Pass uh, I will be there for that and I'll try and chat to Dan Hardy while I'm there and report back next week And, of course, we will look at the big event down there in Rio, UFC 2-1-2, as Jose Aldo puts that belt on the line against Max Holloway. Thank you so much for listening. We'll speak to you next week.